Hey y'all, we're Kristen and Emily. Besties who love talking about female-driven cinema. Come along for the ride as we talk about landmark films with female writers, directors, actors, and producers. We aim to highlight women's stories and the characters they bring to life on the big screen. So buckle up and join us on this female-driven journey. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. For over a thousand years, the nomads of the Altai Mountains have hunted with golden eagles, a precious skill that has traditionally been handed down from father to son. But now a young girl is setting out to become a master eagle hunter. Meet Ashulpan. She's 13 years old. She's strong. She's brave. And she's a total natural. But when the competition ends, the real test begins. Hi, everyone. Hi. Kristen's back. Hi. <laughs> Guess who's back? Back again. Yes, Kiki's <laughs> back. Tell a <laughs> <laughs> We're back. It's been a little while, huh? It has. It's good to be back. Uh, I'm in peak form right now. Thanks for your patience while I was gone. The good old depression and anxiety, you know, it just uh, takes a little bit of downtime to get back on your feet. So I'm doing good. Feeling good. Yeah, winter yeah. doesn't help, right? No. I'm about to introduce our special guest. And all three of us are in totally different areas of the country. We're in almost like a triangle. So, <laughs> so this is Emily. I'm in Phoenix. Kristen is in Southeast Michigan. And our special guest, Woo! Bolor, is in Atlanta. Right? Na, 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 na. <laughs> yes! You just heard her speak. So, Bolor, hey, is our special guest. Can you, will you introduce yourself? Oh, I thought you were going to introduce me. <laughs> well, I, no. <laughs> I just did. This, this is our special guest, Bolor. And Bolor, I, we're going to talk about how we met. Maybe we'll just talk about that first. Yeah. <laughs> Emily, Emily and Bolor are friends. Um, and I'm meeting Bolor. Uh, am I saying your name right? Yeah. Awesome. Bolor, Bolor, Baller. <laughs> Baller, yeah. Baller. Bowler, we're so glad you could be on our podcast. Thanks for being here. Um, I want to know how you and Emily met. Yeah, so I got invited to my friend Jackie's wedding, and Emily was there. And it was just one of those instances where you just kind of clicked. We were the only Asian girls. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny because we both had like purple, bluish Hell dress. Yes, and <gasps> yeah. we just we. And we just kind of looked at like, I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, we got it. Everyone was debating the color of your dress. Do you remember that? Well, of course. It's still purple. Girl. <laughs> girl, it was blue. <laughs> oh, girl. We should just post a picture to this Instagram and have I will. Actually, we're going to do it because it's a totally purple dress. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Ah. <laughs> it's like that dress, that viral dress. Is this dress what was it, black and blue or white and gold? Yeah, you remember okay. that? We did no. We did look twinsies, though, because we were... 
Yeah, we were the only yeah, two it was Asian two. people. Only two we're Asian, two Asian people. people. And then, well, I should say East Asian because we I, we had another member of the party who was Indian, right? Uh, but we <laughs> we oh, both oh, had like yes. long dark dresses on. And it was funny. yeah, and then I and then I remember fake. the photographer, the photographer was like, we're gonna put the two dark, you know, like the dark dresses, like the, so the photography yeah. itself kind of like circled around us just because we had the darker shades of the dress. That's how we met. Ah. And just kind of stayed in touch and, you know, Emma was a cool girl and I'm, oh, I'm happy to be here. And Bowler's yeah. cool. Yay, Bowler. And the reason uh, I asked her to come on for this episode is because we're talking about this really, really great documentary today. So this documentary came out in 2016 at Sundance. It's called The Eagle Huntress. It's, it's in Kazakh, I think is the language. It's got, it's subtitled and it's narrated by one of the Daisy? producers, Daisy Ridley. When I Googled it, because yeah. I'd never heard about it before, I saw, you know, the cast member is Daisy Ridley and I was like, what? So this movie was directed by Otto Bell, produced by Otto Bell, Sharon Chang, and Stacey Rice. And again, I think Daisy Ridley. And it's about a young woman named Ashel Pan. And she lives near the Altai Mountains in Mongolia, correct? But yes. I'm going to be deferring to you a lot in this. Yeah, of I'm course. I'm sorry, you're going to have the burden of explaining a lot of stuff to us because we don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah, and this follows the story of, as far as we know, the first Eagle Huntress, right? Eagle Huntress, yes, for a while, really, really. For a while, while yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Bolar- Mongolia 101, here I come. <laughs> yeah. So Bo- I, made, I, I had an outline that I prepared for for this one, and I sent it to Bowler yesterday, and I was like, is this too much? Because I asked so many questions. But uh, no, not at all. So, Bowler, can you just tell? Prepared. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about your background and your education and what you do now? Yes. So, I'm originally from Mongolia. Um, I was born and raised in Mongolia, but actually, I've been in the states for like forever. Um, but I, I, I'm fluent in Mongolian, reading and writing, speaking, dancing, singing. Wow, <laughs> and cool. I've, I've always stayed stayed connected with back home, you know, extended relatives and family and friends. And yeah, so I graduated from University of San Francisco in 2018. I got my master's in Asian Pacific Studies after getting, you know, a bachelor's in international studies. So I wanted to like drive the field to East Asia. And as the politics were changing, the region was like much larger so it's like you could either do east asia or you could do the asia pacific which is much more larger so i chose that and right now i work for the diplomat magazine i cover everything mongolia politics culture mostly Mm -hmm. international relations that's what i like to write about but you know in between there are so many events happen so i write a lot about protests corruption um you know you name it so when you guys called me and Emily was like, hey, we'd love to talk to you about this Eagle Hunters documentary. And I was like, oh, my God, I'd love to because I've been waiting to watch this. And it just, you know, I, I actually kind of forgot about it because this this came out when I was just moving to San Francisco in 2016. And they were 
I think they were like filming it, not filming it, they were like showing it somewhere, and I think it was graduate school, and it just kind of slipped my mind, so I watched it last week, and I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. It was awesome. Great. So glad. Yeah, you're really like the perfect guest for this. So yeah, thank you again so much for being here. And Bowler just published her 80th article. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, talk thank again. You. Emily's just trying to make me blush. <laughs> no. No. No, no. Sure, it's well we'll, deserved. At, at the yeah. end, we'll talk more about like where, you know, where we can all find you and, and, and that. But yeah, Fuller is an authority on, on this, on this topic. Yeah. And we'll talk more about, um, we'll end up talking more about feminism today, gender roles, um, so, you know, social dynamics, uh, gender dynamics, a, a broad range of issues and sub, and subjects today. We're talking about this amazing documentary that came out in 2016 when Bowler had just moved to, to San Francisco and was studying Asian Pacific studies, right? And, um, I think it came out at Sundance. So this, yeah, this is more of an independent film that was released in Sundance and it's now on Amazon Prime, which is where I watched it. Same. So, this film covers, it's a very specific subject, and it's about this 13-year-old girl named Ashel Pan, and she lives in, probably in the foothills of the Altai Mountains, and, yeah, so this is on, and this is in Mongolia, and she is, um, training to be an eagle huntress. And we're going to learn about the significance of eagle hunting in Mongolia today and the significance of this young girl specifically doing it and this whole experience, this whole journey for her. She ends up going to a festival, of like a, a competition that she ends up going to. And it's just a really incredible story. It's quite moving, I'd say. And I'd say this is like a love story, like a father-daughter love story. Mm. That was my takeaway. It was uh, really amazing. So, Bolor, in my outline, I asked you some very, very broad questions, and I know that this is like a lot, but can you give us the most condensed version of like (laughs) an overview of the people of Mongolia? (laughs) Like, I understand this is not like a monolith, but like, can you just give us the most condensed, like, wiki version of history of Mongolia, like when the people kind of settled, the nomadic structure and tradition, and we'll go from there. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yes. So, where do I begin? I don't even know. I know. I'm so sorry. This is like so. (laughs) No, no, it's okay. It's okay. So, this is where I thought. Anytime when somebody asks you about any culture or history, you have to start from somewhere, right? So I thought I'm just going to put it into like a couple segments. So I'm not talking about gibberish, you know? So the earliest recorded history for the, the Mongols, right? The nomads were during, um, 209 before Christ, you see, mm-hmm. right? But back then they were, um, they were, okay, like you're learning this as you go now, but they were like Xiongnu empires. These were a bunch of, bunch of nomadic population peoples that just moves around the, you know, East Asian steppes, right? Mountains, Gobi Desert. But these were like really, really Northern Asia. You're looking at 
And right now, if you look at where these people have populated, most of them are like Siberia, Northern Mongolia, Mongolia, East Mongolia, right? So like geographically, they're just really like Northern people. Mm. And you fast, fast forward to like the 12th century. So this, these nomadic populations has been just lived on forever, forever, forever. They're like wiring each other. There are so many different clans, you know, killing each other, stealing mm. their lives. But the nomad like, culture kind of stays, right? They just, they don't stay in one place long enough. They're constantly on the move. So now another history that when you hear Mongolia is the Genghis Khan, right? You guess probably Genghis Khan. Read it, heard, yeah, Genghis oh, yeah. Khan, Genghis Khan, however you say it. He's written everywhere, right? So the Mongols are proud of Genghis Khan because he conquered half of the world. Again, you know, um, either by force or by asking kindly to, you know, give up your territory, give it up your peoples. You know, if you wow. didn't comply, then well, there you go. Um, but that was in 13th century. So you look at Chinggis Khan's history, you're gonna, you're gonna looking at like 12th century, 13th century, and then his grand, grandkids, how they conquered and remained all of the, you know, areas where he had conquered. Yeah. So Chinggis Khan is very interesting because there are so many books written about him, like the Mongolians would worship him, obviously, you know, because we're Mongols and the Mongols would see from the perspective like this great king had conquered the world, he united all the Mongol clans, he was the one and only king. Whereas you go to Europe or you go to like even the Persian countries, you see their archival documents and everything's written, it's like, oh, this bloody, bloody nomad, you know, like mm. just killing thousands of people, like no mercy. So oh, you wow. see this competing literature of what they have experienced but obviously, when we, like Mongolians, worship Chinggisang, we're not worshiping the killings. It's just probably the victories, you know, like even without without modern technology, riding a horse and conquering the world. Who can do that now? Oh, my God. Like, you know, so you just got to put it into context of who is saying what from what perspective. But he plays a great role in even in Mongolia today, like. You would see, actually, in my living room, there's a Chinggisang's big carpet. Households just have it, you know? But mm. I think modern families, they probably don't want Chinggisang on their walls or, mm. um, and then you like fast forward to, you know, 1920s, 1911, um, there was war. Mongolia was conquered by the Manchus. We've been under Chinese dominance for like 200 years. And then a monarch, a Buddhist monarch was enthroned and he became the king and, you know, Mongolians got independence. And then it was 1924 and then it was World War II. So every, all these political changes have, I kind of want to say like shrunk Mongolia, whereas mm-hmm. Genghis Khan had so much territory, right? And then we're talking about modern Mongolia, which I would say starts from like 19. Some people say 70s, 80s. That's where like all of our like history really changed to like modern Mongolia, right? And then it was 1988 when I was born. I mean, <laughs> uh, the millennials. Me too. Yeah. 88. Okay. Sagittarius. I'm a Pisces. Pisces, Sagittarius. Anyway. Um. Yeah. So 1990s. 
And then, you know, we had a democratic revolution. So ever since 1991, Mongolia is a democratic country. We have parliamentary system. Uh, we have president, parliamentary cabinet and 3.3 million population. Wow. Only 3.3 million. We have a huge, huge land, lots of mining. Mining is our, like, our main economy. Yeah, really young population, which we we're probably going to talk about gender roles and gender ratio. But yeah, that's Mongolia right now. <laughs> we're still rubbing nice. between Russia and China. We do not speak Chinese or Russian. We speak Mongolian. Thank you. <laughs> and then in the documentary, what, like when the captions came on and they were speaking, it said Kazakh. Is that a language that's spoken a yes, lot? Yes. So, yes. Okay. So Mongolia, we, we still have like the leftovers of the different ethnic groups that were, mm-hmm. you know, when they were in state. So we have, we have multiple that are like different ethnicities. So Kazakh is one of them. They're still Mongolians. Yeah. They speak two languages, right? So mm. their primary language in their household is probably Kazakh, but everything official is in Mongolian. So, so do you think when Ashokan yeah. was in school, so she's staying in a school five days a week because it was so far from her home. Do you think, was she learning yeah, everything it, in, Mong- in Mongolian? Do you think at school? It's probably both. It's yeah. probably both. The state probably requires, you know, you have to speak Mongolian. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being bilingual. If she speaks yeah. Kazakh, then the whole Kazakh-speaking world is open to her. If she speaks Mongolian, you know, they're trying to a million. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, and I, yeah. I saw the teacher giving them some English lessons, too. And yes. at the Eagle Festival, the banner was in English. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe because there were lots of tourists there. A lot of tourists I wonder. Were there. Yeah. yeah. But I, yeah. I was just amazed that English, like, was being taught in school. Yeah. Did you, did, were you taught any English growing up or did you, how did you learn English? No, I actually, um, I actually went to a Chinese private school. Oh, <laughs> cool. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, we, we were taught both in, uh, Mongolian and Mandarin Chinese. Wow. And since I came to the States, I learned English. Yeah. It was really hard. I was like, English is kind of, not my tea. You know, <laughs> oh you know I have to learn. It was really, really hard because you know how your brain it works in like as soon as you try to say stuff, it would go to like Mandarin Chinese or it would go to the Mongolian, and <laughs> yes. I'm just like, and it's an entirely like, different um, writing system, right? Bolor and alphabet, and is it Cyrillic? <sighs> so hard. It is Cyrillic, but we also use traditional Mongolian too. But mm. I was gonna add a point where um Kristen was talking about the education system it's not just in the Altai Mountains area ever since 1990s education has become a little bit more global I would say and we have like British schools students would literally graduate with fluent British English wow and and then you consider the Soviet influence of 70 years like my parents generation they all speak Russian so wow. we have, yeah, we have private Russian schools that if you, you know, if you were to send your student, kind of like study abroad, but you just send them to private schools and they're, they're speak, you know, fluently Russian. Wow. It's so different from our experience, Kristen. Yeah. It sure <laughs> Where is. we're in the West and we don't have to learn other languages because English is kind of lingua franca for everyone else. We're pretty spoiled, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. I, I, 
It's, Honestly, it's, it's so like, insular in the States. It's just like, well, yeah. everyone else has to learn our language, so why would we even bother? <laughs> like, that, it just has these hints of um, colonizing. Imperialism. I, I guess imperialism yeah. that's just uncomfortable a little yeah. bit, but I understand too, like, it helps Bolor that you're explaining a lot has to do with the political climate. You know, who's top dog at the time? Really, that's what controls mm-hmm. language. That's, yeah. that's fascinating. And I do want to say, like, I want to be sensitive to the fact that when we're interviewing someone, like some, especially an authority on a subject, so it's it's great. So we understand Ballar's here to talk and teach us, but I just want to be sensitive to like I don't want you or or anyone else we Ballar or anyone else we talk to to feel like oh it's your job to explain your entire yes. culture to us. You know what I mean? I think that oh, I don't yeah, want to put course. that I'm, on anyone. So. Well, I'm probably I'm probably leaving out so much. Yeah, to, I know. You know yeah, I know that's a lot like, to ask. Like, it, please explain the entire history of your country and like <laughs> all the traditions. Oh yeah, like, you know what I mean. Like, I, I just want to be sensitive to that. And you know, we are we're really trying to narrow the scope here to this yeah. young girl's story, Ashel Pan. But like, I think context is important. So yeah, I really appreciate you giving us a backdrop. And I think we'll end up speaking mostly about being a girl. <laughs> in Mongolia today because yeah. that's the story of this girl is Ashel Pan. She's 13 years old. This was in 2016, so she's oh wow, young. A uh, oh, very yeah. young girl. And yeah. Bolar, can you give us a little bit of insight? I mean, I think we could glean some things from just the documentary, but it's obviously very truncated and it's only an hour and a half long. Yeah. Can you give us some insight into like traditional social structures, family dynamics, gender roles so we can understand more where Ashel Pan's coming from. Yeah. So, you know, after you're watching the documentary, you can kind of get a sense of, like, even from me, my life was so much different than, you know, hers because she grew up in a nomadic family away from, away from the city. Everything is nomadic. She has to do everything by her hands. She doesn't have the luxury of Wi-Fi or you know, TV or you even had a cassette, Kristen, you know, right. like I said, you know, if she get a cassette, she was probably like really, really happy. So it's, you know, I can't really compare her life to my life, but, but I could, I could resonate with, you know, growing up in Mongolia in a city and having access to the countryside where some of my friends were, you know. Um, I would say the traditional family structure is you have the father as the head of the family and you have the mom. And my parents and my grandparents' generation had much larger families, you know, so my grandma would have like eight brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was it was kind of typical, especially in the countryside. I don't know, maybe you had nothing to do, but to, you know, you know, you know, but... <laughs> and then, <laughs> And, and they're all working the land, have, right? They're all working the land. Yeah, so it so kind have, of makes sense to have a huge family because you need, you need the, the help. You need the help because you, you're talking about nomadic society where you have livestock, you're constantly hurting, constantly moving. So if it's just two of you, it's just not going to work out. And I was actually, when Emily posted, you know, when she sent me the questions, there was a lot of things that there was so much that we could cover. But there was a couple of things that I was like, you know, that's probably like a really interesting point is to make was that like my grandparents' generation and a couple of generations before, it was normal for 
people to like adopt their children if your family members didn't have a children, right? So let's say a family would have seven children and the auntie or, you know, the, their sisters didn't have a baby. So she would just kind of adopt one of their children to their household, mm. which was, which was typical in like the 19, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s family structure. But I think modern days are a little bit different. So modern families are much more smaller, I would mm-hmm. say. Two kids, three kids tops. And if you have four Mongolian babies, you become the, oh, I'm blanking. How do I explain this in English? Um, you receive a medal from the government. You become like a, like a respected mom. Wow. I think, wow. It's, I, I think it's four babies. I know. I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. So my, my grandma was that because she had, she had six babies and none of my friends have it yet because you know they're still young but yeah so the family is really it's kind of part of the culture you know Mm -hmm. like the state recognizes you're giving race to Mongolian babies and you know expanding the family yeah but going back to going back to you know growing up in Mongolia it's different you know like growing up in the city is so much different than growing up in the countryside. And obviously for Aisha Khan, she has the 100% experience of growing up in a nomadic family. As you can see in the film, they're moving from, yeah, and you have other people, you know, herding their livestock. They have like a couple, yeah, like a couple thousand sheep. Somebody has to herd that because you're not just going to leave them because that's their, that's their livelihood. Yeah. It was just her. It was. So it was her parents, her mother and father. Ashel Pan was the oldest, it looked like. She's 13. And she had a younger sister and younger brother. And he was little in this. He was like five. So cute. And the little sister was probably 10. And they had a lot of livestock. You could see she was working the land constantly. This like 13 year old girl was out herding sheep with her dad. And like, yeah. You can see them, you know, skinning, skinning animals. Yeah. The mother was, I think, probably milking cows constantly, making cheeses, making bread, you know, all of the food. I think she was making by hand. Yeah. I have a question for you guys. So when you when you see these, what what is your take? Like cuz it's such a different different daily activity in comparison yeah. to where you guys have grown oh, up. Oh, yeah. Like, um what was your take? <laughs> my takeaway was wow, I'm so soft and cushy and my life is so easy. <laughs> <laughs> because these this girl, her whole family, they worked so hard. They were really living from the land and raising livestock and slaughtering their own food and making everything from scratch and making clothing. And, and then again, she had to, I think her, her father would drive her on a motorcycle all the way to the city to go to school where she would stay five days a week. She grew up fast. They... Had no choice. I don't know. It was really humbling for me to see that. And it just, I really admired her a lot. I think I could learn a lot from her and her parents who are just so gracious and strong, I would say. Like, we don't hear a lot from her mother, but the little we did, I was just like really admiring of her strength. And I loved the father. He was so supportive. He loved his daughter so much and was so proud of her. So yeah, I mean that was my my takeaway was just really, just really impressed by her strength. Kristen, what about you? Oh man, 
the first word that comes to my mind is respect. You know, that's a real partnership between human and land and animal. Nature and human nature, you know, that's a real partnership. It's survival. It's family. It's uh, all kinds of things where it made me realize, I don't know, it was profound to me in the ways that, like, you can't romanticize this. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a hard life. And this is a new way of life being shown to me. Um, I think the documentary was really good at at showing the difficulties, the rigors, but also the joys, I think, mm-hmm. of this way of life. When they took apart their summer home, I've been calling it a yurt, but I know that's not the right word. Um, but I, it was, my mind was blown. Like their whole life was all of a sudden in this truck. And there's the eagle just sitting on top and then they drove away. And I was like, okay, that's the nomadic <laughs> lifestyle. And like, then she rode, she was riding her horse alongside, I think. And then they had amazing. a bunch of sheep. Um, when they get to their winter dwelling, um, I think there was a shot of the mother, you know, she's tearing a, a cooking pan into the home. And I was like, she's the lifeblood of this family. She's yeah, keeping everyone yeah. fed, everyone going, braiding her daughter's hair. And she's like, you need to take better care of your hair. <laughs> <laughs> like you were saying, Emily, you know, um, I, I wish I would have written her name down because I'm terrified of saying it wrong. Esh? Eshelpan. Eshelpan. Thank you. Um, you know, she lives at the school five days a week with her brother and sister, and she basically takes care of them. Young Kristen would have devoured this story. I, I'm devouring it now. I mean, just young Kristen, just seeing her, like, what an inspiration to, like, following and doing what you want to do. When you see her in the dorm with all of her girlfriends... And they are just, they love her and they look up to her and they admire her. I'm like, this means so much, not just for her, right? What, what she does here in this story, which is to train as an eagle huntress. It's it's the only girl in in this very, it's a male tradition, right? Bolor, it's like something that is passed from father to son for, I'm assuming, hundreds of years. Yeah. So Bolor, I know we kind of went off on a tangent, but did that answer your question of like how we were struck? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just wanted to know because there were some things that I saw and I was just like, I was getting teary eyed, you know. Yeah, can you oh. tell us about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, the, it was more about the girls, like, it was so innocent. Like, I love the part where she was like trying to pinch her nails and I it was know. Like, so messed up. And I'm like, <laughs> Because then I remember, like, when when we used to go camping, you know, we didn't really have, like, nail polish because they were, like, it's bad for you anyway. What we would do is we would go up to the mountains and you would collect, like, purple flowers and you would move the petals and you use your saliva to, like, oh stick God. it under. Wow. Yeah. That's so cute. This is the real story. And, you know, it's a flower, so sometimes you'll be walking like this and <laughs> one of them would. They're like, oh my god, my nails fell out. Go pick up another petals, and you know, the saliva would eventually dry out, and you realize that's when the petals would stop falling. But mm-hmm. I saw there, and I was just like, this is so cute. This is like so innocent, right? Oh, yeah. I love the part where she was like, you know, putting the hair ribbon, because we used to have, we used to have like hair ribbons and you do like that two piggy tails and you the have flower? like a yeah were they ribbons or flowers it kind of looked like almost like little flowers 
Yeah, flowers, but usually it's like a korpong, we call it. It's like a like a ribbon, and you kind of like make flowers with it mm-hmm. to tie your hair. And so there was some things that I saw kind of like reminded me of how it was, you know. And even though I grew up in the city, my grandma had a countryside home. And we would go there, and our cheeks would just get like so red. You see how her cheeks are like so, so red? Yeah. It's like, first it's cold. Second of all, like you don't have the superficial like sunblock. Like I mean, you're 13. Way back then, I didn't have sunblocks either, you know. So you would wake up, you wash your face, and you play outside all day. Mm. You're gonna get sunburn, and it's probably sunburn. Like my cheeks were so red. <laughs> you know, so, I bet. Things that I would be like watching, and I was like, "Oh man, this brings back such a good memories, and you know, red cheeks." And but at the same time, it's kind of like it's hard, you know. Even when I went to my grandparents' land in the summer, we would go for like two weeks, maybe three weeks, and I would help with like farming, like agriculture. My grandma would be like, "Okay, kid, pick up five potatoes, a couple carrots." So we would have to dig out our own potatoes. And carrots, and you have to wash it in the little river, and then she would make food for. So wow. some of the things were very similar, but I couldn't imagine doing it on a daily basis as she did. You know, herding a couple thousand sheep. My grandma had a couple cows, so we still had to herd them. Like we had to get up, like you know, have a stick of some sort, <laughs> and then the cow would go graze all day, and before sunset you have to go get the cows back i did that and you know as 12 year old girl it was kind of scary because i'm like oh my god what if they're wolves what if they're like wild dogs i was i was always afraid and i would have this big stick with me and i would just like constantly turn around like who's there (laughs) (laughs) that'd be so scary i would do like myself i'm probably just like a paranoid as hell (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so there was a lot of um a lot of good memories that I was like, oh, she's so good. I just love the fact that she was like so real and so innocent. I just I love. She's it. so joyful. Like even when people were kind of dismissing her, like there's that part when she's in the tent at the festival, and all the men are like, "You can't do this. Women can't." Like even though she just did it, like she just competed and won, and yeah. they're still like right in front of her, being like, "You can't yeah. do this." Did you guys see it? You guys see her forehead like one time she's like she did yeah. that face. But she, like bratty little Emily, I would have been so triggered by that and angry and she mm-hmm. just kind of like brushed it off. She knows who she is. She's really steady. Yeah. She like didn't let that upset person. her. And this is a thirteen year old girl no. and these are like grown men and she just knows who she is and confident. Well she wanted it. She really yeah. really really wanted it. I think it was it was definitely not a hobby, you know, because you don't, that's not really a hobby. It was a passion. I think it was something, I actually thought about this a lot because as a 13-year-old girl, you're going through all this trouble. It's kind of trouble, right? Because yeah. your uncle's saying no and your dad's friend saying no and the elderly people in your community saying like, oh, you can do it because you're female, la, 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 la. But she was like, you know what? My dad's gonna support me. I think it was more of like a like a calling, you know, like you you yeah. get the calling, right? Yeah. It was something. It's much more higher than hobby. I don't even want to say it's passion. It's way more than a passion because passions go away. You get 
Right. You know, you have passion to do something, you get the satisfaction, it's like, okay, you know, let's go on to the next thing. But it was more of like a calling and everything that she was doing was so, she was brave, like she wasn't so afraid. Yes. Like that mountain part was like, I when, was like, when she oh. climbed down into the nest. Gosh. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Um, what a total badass. <laughs> I think that yeah. was such a key moment. I mean, there's so much symbolism there too, like, her father's literally supporting her with a rope and coaching her the whole time. And she's also, you know, being like, dad, give me some slack on the rope. And you're like, they're working together and she's doing this hard thing, but like he trusts her to do it. And, oh, I was just so powerful. Like, like this was such a symbolic moment too, of like getting her first eagle. Yeah. She was so happy. Yeah. She was so happy. One of the things that I was like looking at, I was like, does the dad have enough muscle? Like, and you know, he pulled it off and I was like, okay. I loved him so much. <laughs> he loved his daughter so much. He's a good I teacher. was very touched because yeah. he frequently would just call her my child. My child, my daughter. Do you guys remember, do you guys remember the part where the older people were like, oh, she's doing this or something. And he's like, yeah, more coming. Yeah. Do you guys remember? In the tent, he oh, said, yeah. he said, this is just the right. beginning. Yeah. This is just the beginning. And I was, I felt like that was kind of like a moment where, cause you know how men's, men don't really explain in details or express it as much as women do. They say things short and they just have like a, their way of understanding. I, I thought that he had, he, by the time, those guys were done talking. He was like fed up with it. Yeah. He was like, uh, she did it. She's going to do more. So wait for it. They have so much love and respect for each other. And I think that's really encapsulated in the end. We'll get there. But when they're doing it together, like he's the chaser and she's the hunter at the end. Yeah. And they do it together. But mm. yeah, he, it just, I don't know. I was just so, it was just profound because you know that the elders of this tribe that they interviewed several of them that were just saying, no, 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 women can't. Like one of them literally said they're too weak and fragile. Oh yeah. Um, one of them I... was, and then another said, one of them, one of the elders talked more about gender roles. Like, you know, it's the man's job to go out and hunt and the woman stays at home and makes, I, I forgot what he said, but tends to the cows, does this, does that, says that, well, eventually <laughs> she'll have to get married anyway. And it, clearly it's not like, girls and women are inherently incapable it's that the powers that be are telling them they can't but she had this strong father figure that just said unequivocally he said in the beginning girls and boys are equal she can do it Mm -hmm. and we're going to show you that she can do it and then she does and it's sad that even after she does it people are the the men are still like before they were saying you can't but then when she proved that she could they were like well it's because you're a girl but you did oh, yeah. so well. It helped you were a girl. Like, like, you can't win. And then one of them just said, I don't believe it. When they said, well, she won. Because, like, spoiler alert, she won the, the competition. Um, one of them's like, well, I just don't believe it. So, like, it, it, it's like she couldn't win. And then finally they were like, well, if she can act hunt in the wilderness, then then we'll accept her. And it's like she just had to do so much just to prove herself. Ah, um, just, yeah, I think that's where there's a breakdown, you know, when we're trying to move forward with gender equality and having to prove yourself, like, 
there it, it will never be enough no matter what you do i think it'll never be enough so i think just blazing a trail ahead and just being the first one to do something that's really the legacy that matters like even if she was a crummy eagle huntress <laughs> i mean which she wasn't like, by the way but she was amazing yeah of course but just i think it's okay i just if you want to blaze a trail somewhere it's okay to not be good at it does that make sense like because prove it to yourself and lean on the support of your loved ones and that's all that matters like you you'll she'll never change those elders mind like that's just fruitless but she will affect the minds and hearts of her young peers who are at school with the girls and not just the girls the boy like she has younger siblings with his little brother and sister and she has all the girls at school and you can see like she wins the respect and admiration of her competitors all these young men they are like cheering her on it's not like they're like oh uh, you know resentful like they were really happy and you know, a couple of the elders saying, oh, this was just for tourism or whatever. Like, first they were like, no, you can't. But then when she did awesome, they're like, well, the only reason you, <laughs> they, you won is because, is because you're a girl and it's good for press. And I'm like, come on. Like, she was told, they were evaluating her on her skill for sure. Like, the dad was saying how anxious he was that she should be a very skilled rider on her horse. And her yeah. bird kicked ass. Like, yeah. Broke like the she, record. The bird broke a record. And it's like, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Like, yeah. you're either like, oh, you can't, or the only reason you did so well, or, or it was just because they were impressed because you're a girl and you're doing it at all kind of a thing. <laughs> well, Lord, yeah. you Fuller, what were you saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot to unpack here, you guys. So yeah. I want to start with what um, Emily said, and then I'll comment on what um, Kristen said. So, Throughout Mongolia's culture, right, history, so mm-hmm. it is true that the guys would go hunting, they would go to war, so the female stayed home. Okay, I'm not saying that's not true. The female stayed home, cooked, waited for the husbands, they took care of the children. But you also, that's, that's more than, that's more than 80% of the household role you're doing so much yeah imagine you haven't imagine the females have not done anything when the guys return you have no food you don't have house maintained so that has been respected throughout history right Mm -hmm. so over time that that kind of becomes the norm or expectations right Mm -hmm. people expect the woman to oh they've always done it but that's not true because you look at that there were there were female warriors. They went to wars. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying all of them. Some of us may not prefer to do it, but you know, you can't just because it has happened before. You can't make it like a tradition and a culture. Now, I remember when the guys were saying, "Oh, you know, this isn't our culture. This isn't our tradition." I don't think it's. I don't think it's the actual Mongolian tradition to demean women's rights or like women saying like oh you should stay home and cook you know so what these what these older guys were saying was kind of it's not it's not culture or tradition it's just that's how they grew up you mm-hmm. know and they, mm-hmm. they learned to they learned it and they accepted it that way for such a long time and mm-hmm. they just kept face the changes right so this is one big point the second point that I wanted to make was 
you move that mentality and move it to like a city, city folks. So like you change, change the living environment where you're not, you don't have lifestyle. You got your wife's going to education. She's like a professor or, you know, Emily's talking about, we're going to talk about the first female colonel, right? You have a fit, like a female in the military. That whole argument changes, right? Oh wait, Bowler, can you, can so, you give us background? Cause I don't think Kristen knows about that. So. Yeah, so I, we have Mongolia just had first Mongolian female colonel oh, wow. last year. And her name is also Bolor, so I know her. <gasps> no way! Her yeah. <laughs> I, I call my sister because we're just two Bolors, just, you know, yeah. Um, just kicking ass. <laughs> so, kicking ass. So, the point that I wanted to make was the fact that these guys were Saying that Ashokan's woman, you know, once she gets married, she's not going to be able to do it. Like the fact that this guy is saying and saying like it's Mongolian tradition, that is not true. Mm. Because you find some argument, put it into the female colonel situation. I'm not saying she didn't have difficulties. Of Mm -hmm. course she did. Yeah. You know, especially in the military, which is mostly male dominated area. Mm -hmm. Right. We all know that. It's not just the Mongolia U.S. military. Oh, yeah. Definitely. In the military, it is a male-dominated environment, so there are always difficulties. But it's not in Mongolian culture to demean women, mm. you know. Like when right. the guy was like, "Oh, she's gonna get married," and like the like the area, like when he said, "Oh, a woman should stay home," la la la. That didn't really bother me because that is in a way true. But what bothered me was this: these couple, I want to say oldies. They accepted it as a fact that it was like a, like a norm, you know, like it's something that we can't go above. That's what bothered me. Mm-hmm. And then it was a punch in the face when he's like, Oh, she's going to get married soon. I'm like, okay. And but she can't do it anymore. <laughs> okay. So she can't get married and still continue to legal hunt or like, yeah. what the heck are you saying, dude? All right. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then I was just like, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, that seemed that seemed to be Ashel Pan's attitude, mm-hmm. where she yeah, was just like, I mean, "Whatever, like, I'm gonna do." She said she's gonna do what she's gonna do, right? So there are certain things that, like, I know what the oldies say, and there are certain things it's like, ugh, you know, just like old mentality. But I think modern Mongolia is different. You know, you have so many women that are like more highly educated than Mongolian guys right now, and you mm-hmm. know, one of the reasons. Why they're not married Mongolian guys are because they're more educated and they want somebody the equal education, they want somebody who's successful, you know, so the expectations are much higher. I'm not saying it's like everybody, but you know. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, Bullar, it's not to it's not about demeaning quote unquote women's work or women's role because these women are working their asses off. If oh, you're yeah. maintaining a a homestead I mean, I wouldn't want to do that and have to hunt. You know what I mean? Like, I think mm-hmm. a lot of these rules came about, like, organically and practically speaking of, like, well, someone yeah. needs to, someone needs to mind the, te- you know, like, thousand head of cattle here and, like, yeah. yes. feed everyone. So, oh, yeah, and, that's, and that's nothing to, like, demean or, like, be diminished by. It's just the fact that, yeah. that they were saying, well, she can't or, like, or it's wrong that she yeah, wants. Yeah, I mean, you know, exactly. we're, what, we're we're so individualistic in the U.S. of like, well, she should be able to decide what she wants to do. 
and, and people saying, well, this is how it's always been done and it works, which it does, right? It works for many people, but just to say like, no, she cannot when it's clear that she can and she, she's awesome at it. Yeah. So I was going to add to what Kristen said about there's like always, we always have to do the extra step. I yeah. think this short documentary really highlighted that I'm just like, oh my God, what does she needs to do? Mm-hmm. First of all, she's 13 years old. Second of all, when she came in on her horse and her beautiful eagle, do you see the guys, how they were like looking at her? Oh, I know. That made me so uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable, first of all. And it wasn't like the looks that they were giving. It was almost like, okay, some of them were curious. Some of them were just like a little hatred. Like, what is she doing? Yeah, there seemed to be some contempt in the way some... Some of yeah, them. Some of them were like clapping. It seemed to be like the younger men yeah. were like happy for her. But especially some yeah. of the older guys just seemed like pretty contemptuous. And I'm like, how hard for a little girl, like a girl, let alone having right. just with your peers being oh. jerks, but like to have a grown man just look at you like that. And, and in front of a crowd and, and cameras. The, and, and she was the only one there. She, she rode it yeah. on her horse. They rode all day. She and her dad rode their horses in, holding their 15-pound eagles on their arms. And then she shows up, and, like, that was kind of her reception. And I loved how when she was getting ready to go, like you said, um, Bola, she was having, she was, like, painting her nails. It was so sweet. And her sister came out, and she, like, painted her nails. It was adorable. And then when the mom was, like pre- like, preparing her to go and dressing her up, she said something... Nashville Pan was like, I think the the mother was doing her hair. Nashville Pan just said, and this like moved me when she was having her hair done. She said, this is a girl's hair. Yeah, she did. She's like, no, I'm a girl. I'm not ashamed of it. She did her hair in the, like, I'm assuming traditional style. And she had like the two braids and the ribbons. She's like, she wrote in there not trying to obscure the fact that she was a girl. She she went shopping and she got like a little pin. Yeah, yeah. when she got to the That's city. So cute. Yeah, I she, love that. She said it was a treat for her to go and I don't know how to pronounce this the like city. It was like O L G I I. How do you say that? Yeah, that's where she was. And it was like a whole full horseback like she was riding on horseback for a whole day to get there. So it was a big it was a treat for her she's to be really there. Tough. So she yeah, she went in, yeah. she got like stuff for her hair she was so you can see she's a girl right like she wants to to do these things like go shopping and like get little trinkets and things for her hair and and she's just this amazing person <laughs> yeah i don't know you don't really meet i'm never gonna meet someone like that you know in, in mm. real life and you know what was funny what yeah. was funny was that i was like you know for the dudes that got their asses kicked by a 13 year old girl I thought it was kind of funny. (laughs) They're old. They were like, some of them were like 25, 30s. And he, her, she and her eagles were so bonded. Yeah. It was just amazing. That bird loves her. You can tell. Yeah. Right. She, every time, you know, she would make that. She called. She called out to the bird. She called and the bird would just like nothing. And, I they were bonded. Like, you know, you, you, you expect, you expect certain things from a girl, like, 
from from there like when she walked in and the guys were looking at her with such a I don't want to say hatred but they just they were so confused they didn't like what was happening yeah and then he kicked all their asses I was like you know this is this is something to be captured and I was just like you know it's great like the Utah yeah. film center I did the research they like they filmed it and you know it's great because it's kind of like once in a lifetime filming yes yeah, yeah. Seriously. and I think that dad said like earlier Bolor you were saying like this is a it's not just a like a passion or a hobby the dad said early on in the movie he's like he's like this is in her blood yeah like, and then you see kind of the pictures from when she was little and and he was saying like yeah from the time she was like two or three she was bonding with with these eagles and it was yeah. yeah, like he said, it was in her blood. I love that her eagle is also female, right? Oh yeah. Then there was another another thing that yeah. I was I wanted to say to those old guys was like, "What the hell are you talking about? Your birds are females. Yeah, you have to be female birds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like and- seriously, if <laughs> if you're this anti-female, yeah. then get a man bird and train it don't get female bird yeah. <laughs> and the dad i remember when she was like scaling the cliffside to get the bird the dad was like get her like i think he wanted her to get the female bird because mm-hmm. that implies that there was a male and female bird to choose from and yeah. i guess they could tell the difference of the sex of the birds they i don't know they must look a little different or something but the dad was like no get get the the female he said when she was like uh what did you guys but did you guys notice that when she was coming down, one of the birds was like kind of sleepy. The bird that she I know, took, I, like, I think he liked her. There, there was like instant connection. Yeah. You know, mm. I, I don't know if she knew that she was gonna get kidnapped, but yeah, she's like, yeah. At first, well, the one that was sleeping. At first, I thought the sleeping one was like a dead animal, but then realized it was another eagle. But it was just a snoozing. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, another thing about the Eagles is that, well, the movie starts in kind of a cold open because it's, it's, I don't know who the man is, but it's a, a Mongolian man. And he's, it, the, the film starts with a man like, cli- like climbing up into the mountains with his eagle to release it. And then we learn yeah. that, like, so I looked up, I looked up these birds. They're golden eagles and it looks like they can live up to 30 years wow. in the wild and that, after seven years, they call it seven years of service that they release the eagle. So he like gives the eagle a goat and then like lets her go. And yeah. like, that was amazing. Can you talk about the the significance of the golden eagle? Yeah, yeah. So eagles have always been respected, right? Whether you look at it from the bird can fly so high that somebody like people we're just we're just down here. We're like Earth animals mm-hmm. right birds are like sky animals where they can fly anywhere and it's also a symbolism of kind of like resiliency strength and eagles are big you know they're not they're not small birds and yeah. they live in higher like rocky areas where people can't really reach the the fact that the guy is letting go the eagle at seven year old seven years after is because they can mate after seven years mm. old. 
Uh, so, so their mating age is up, right? So whether you're still, whether you're still like baby bird or, you know, you get them like a year, a year mm-hmm. or two, at some point you have to release it. But I actually, as soon as I watched that, I was like, I, I, I started crying because I was like, it, I, I don't want to say it's a pet because it's definitely, it's definitely a working animal, you know, because mm-hmm. you, have, you have a dog and, I mean, Emily, imagine you had your dog and you had to let him go after seven years. Oh, yeah. You know, well, I, I noticed that. You know what I noticed was that I don't think she named the eagle. Do you think that's out of respect for the bird? Or is she's like, it's not my pet? Because I don't think she ever is like, I'm going to name you so-and-so. Oh, yeah. I. Mm, that's actually true. Yeah, it's definitely not a pet, you guys. It's not like yeah. you have a cat and a dog or like a fish. Because, you yeah. know, you have a dog and you name your dog. and it's definitely, it's definitely a working animal. Yeah, I was really sad. I was just like, ah. Oh. And then can you imagine if you are eagle hunter or huntress all your life? I feel like their hearts are always broken, you know, yeah. because yeah. you, you bond. They did like, bond. You're spending, yeah. you're feeding them and then you have to let go and you can kind of tell the guy's like upset. You can just tell he was hurt. Well, yeah. You, yeah, it was heartbreaking and it's certainly a different relationship. To nature than we have like I don't slaughter my own food like I don't yeah <laughs> like these people are living off the land and have real respect because um yeah the man like he gives a goat he kills a goat for the eagle and like is like yeah he says a prayer and I was curious about kind of like the religious practices because they do often pray and invoke the name of God in this and I was like oh I'm not sure like what you know, what are their religious practices or beliefs here? But he did. And then he said something like, you're an innocent lamb. Like, but I, you know, the eagle deserves a sacrifice or something. And it was like just a different relationship to, you know, the wild. And this is certainly a matter of survival. It's not like when you see these men in fur coats, like the the father, it, he was wearing this gigantic fur coat. And I'm like, that probably took years to assemble that coat because if like the foxes are small, they're not big, and he, they were saying that they'll they'll face temperatures of up to negative forty Fahrenheit. Like this is not a luxury thing. Like you know, buying these like you know fifteen thousand dollar chinchilla coats. Like this is like survival, and you can see the respect that they have for the animals as well. Even when they're like, we need to eat you because we have to survive. It's just I don't know. It just seems like a really res- respectful relationship to nature and to other living things i don't know if you could speak to that a little more or me yeah <laughs> yeah well if you look at the nomadic civilization you have to be in a way to be close to nature and animals packing up their life moving into a certain area you mm-hmm. have to respect the mountain or the river which you're residing and that still continues today it's not it's more of a belief and act. You have to believe it, but then you have to act upon it. So the modern issue right now is you have like garbages, right? So you have this beautiful nature area. You camp for three or four nights and you just leave your garbage there. So even if you believe that you have strong relationship with nature, if you leave your garbage, the act is not there. You're not doing mm-hmm. it. You're not doing percent of what you believe. So you don't yeah. believe it, right? But for, for nomadic society, 
I mean, throughout generation, it's just in, in a way you have to be close to the land. It's like a reliance on nature, and they were kind of at the yeah. mercy of it too. Like when it gets to negative forty, yeah, especially the part where they are from, Altai Mountain. It's one of the coldest areas of Mongolia. It's yeah, really, really north. So it's northwest Mongolia where where there's a forever snow. You know, there's like mm-hmm. snowy mountains that forever snow. It just doesn't melt, and the winters are oh my god, it's really cold, and you have to move because there's no way you're gonna survive. I mean, even even me growing up in the city, like we used to, it used to be like minus thirty two. Oh and wow. Ooh. And I have to go to school. So what you would do is you would layer up, right? You have big boots. You have double multiple layers of pants. You got to have really long coat that covers your butt, covers almost half your legs. Mm. And you wrap your face with big scarf and your hats like this. <laughs> and what ended up happening is your eyelashes would have icicles. Oh, my That's a real story. <laughs> it's so cold. And everybody's like that. And, you know, when you're at the age of like 12, 13, my girlfriends will start putting mascara on and you come to the class and everybody has like black eye. eye <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> what happened to yours? What happened to so your funny. eyes? <laughs> you know, that's when you learn about mascaras. Do not stay unless it's waterproof. No, no waterproof <laughs> mascara. <laughs> No, I mean, we didn't even know back then. And, you know, it, it's it's cold. So especially where Ashopan has grown up, it's it's resilience and you have to. You're not really worried about superficial things. But who cares? Who cares what your shoes look like? I'm yeah. freaking cold. Yeah. Is that part of the nomadic tradition is just practical reasons of like, it's freezing cold, we need to move? Yeah, so you will have you will have multiple residencies. You will have summer residency, and then you have your winter house. That's just how it is. And you probably expect if it's a really cold winter, your livestock will die, and you have yeah, to they feed up. You know, they had to move the livestock. You have to, yeah. move, you have to okay. move the livestock to certain areas, and sometimes they will die, which you're just gonna you're not gonna throw them away unless there's disease. So you will just eat yep. it. You know, yeah. So it's yeah, definitely was- a circle. <laughs> yeah, we see her, um, like, tending to the animals and, you know, but also, like, skinning the animal. Like, they don't waste anything. They use the entire animal. And you, I think you can see the respect and, like, the gratitude there and the care because, you know, like we said, this is a matter of just staying alive. So I think they're grateful to the other living things that are enabling them to stay alive. And, and you know, they have, like, this respect for nature and reverence for it that I found really moving. Well, in, in her first hunt, in becoming yeah. an, a real eagle huntress, you know, they take their horses up into the mountains, and there's a moment where they pause and give, they break the ice so the horses can have yeah. a drink. Um, and those, you know, those horses are tough like them. The eagle's yeah. tough like them. Um, and then that one moment where they were going through that heavy, deep snow, it went all the way up past the horses' bellies. as Oh, my heart was just pounding. Yeah. Like, how do you know how to make the call of like, nope, we keep going. Or we turn around. Or do we turn around? Do we find, you know, so that, that wisdom, I assume must have been passed, you know, from father to son to father to son, now father to daughter. Yeah. Like she's learning from him. Like, okay, this is a little scary. <laughs> like, we oh should boy. turn around now. Yeah. And he's like, just get off your horse, lead the horse, follow in my footsteps, literally. Uh, so 
just um just seeing like Emily you're saying, you know, the father is so loving to the daughter, but he's giving her this precious gift of survival knowledge. He's continuing the chain of tradition. It was just so touching and heart pounding and exciting yeah. and scary. <laughs> That was the part of the movie where it was when they went to the actual, like, fox hunt. And, yeah, you like, this movie is, like, stunning, the how yeah. it's shot over the mountains. And you can see them, like, riding their horses over frozen lakes and rivers and up into the mountains. And it's, like, clearly brutally cold. The wind, like, you can just imagine with the wind chill, it's, like, negative 40. And I'm like, this girl is so tough. She's so strong and she doesn't complain. And she's just like, yeah, we're here to do this thing. And it's it's really amazing. Do you have any knowledge of the religious practices of the people in this particular region? You know, we'd often see them praying in the beginning when the man lets his eagle go. And then also when she goes to get the blessing of the grandfather. So Western, Western Mongolia, especially where the region where they're from, uh, they have they have Muslim populations. So right now, Mongolia has Buddhism, Islam, and I think there has been emergence of Christianity in the last 20, 20, 25, 30 years. I actually looked up the numbers. So in 2021, uh, so two years ago, there's 87.1% of Buddhists, 5.4% of Muslims, and there's 2.2% of Christianity. Wow. So the 5.4% of Muslims are most likely they're in Western Mongolia. They were definitely doing it like a, like a regular, regular thing, you know, cause mm-hmm. I grew up in Buddhist family and we don't practice it on a daily basis, but mm-hmm. you do, you do go to the Buddhist temple. You do go to the Buddhist temple during holidays. And, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody passes away, then you follow the tradition. But I think, I think for Muslims, you have to do it like regularly. So they're definitely continuing that. You can tell too, right? But again, it just yeah. goes to show you that like, wow, Islam is not a monolith. There are like of over a billion Muslim people or more, you know, Muslim people. Yeah, throughout. there's a lot. And it's yeah. like, like Ashley Pan doesn't quote unquote look like a, like a Muslim girl. Like when you think of a Muslim girl, you might be thinking of someone that's, you know, veiled or, or wearing a hijab, but it's like, yeah. The, yeah, you just learn, Oh, the world is big. It's just kind of eye opening. Well, the typical Mongolian girl, you'd see like the big cheeks, kind of like me. <laughs> All I have is big cheeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're beautiful. I have no chin. Like round face, no chin, mm-hmm. just big cheeks, big smiles. <laughs> cool. But I had, I had like two, two funny questions that I was going to ask you guys after, you know, watching the sure. documentary. Did you guys notice that? The eagle was like 15 pounds. Do you think she's like really muscular, especially oh, on the right hand? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because when they rode, they had these cool little mechanisms. It was like a little perch attached to the, yeah. was the saddle. The saddle and it, I think. like her arm rested on it. And then the eagle was on her arm. But still, that was cool. hurt. They were riding for hours on end. And I don't think she's switching arms. I think she's just... No. And she also... Do you remember the part where she's like, oh, yeah, I beat everyone at wrestling today, including the boys. (laughs) (laughs) Like, she's tough. She's a tough girl. And she's so sweet and joyful. And I think she said she wanted to become a doctor. I just love her. (laughs) She's so amazing. Yeah. Like, I think of my older sister when her babies were young. 
you know, she's constantly holding weight like that. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember how I like bumped into her arm and I was like, whoa, like it was like a rock. <laughs> like, yeah. was like oh, that's like my sister. Yeah, my sister is tiny. You've seen her, Kristen. She's yeah. like under five feet tall. She's probably a hundred pounds. I'm a lot stronger. Well, I thought I was anyway. <laughs> I'm not a big person by any means, but I just remember she has four children and I just remember being, I would be around them a lot and watching her cart them around and I would cart them around too and being like, Rudy, how are you doing this all day? <laughs> like, you're no. so tiny, but she just, I don't know, like you said, she just kind of developed those muscles and that's cool and a lot and stronger than she looks. Grit. A lot tougher. Yeah. It takes, well, like you were saying, Emily, you know, she's a tough gal. She, she was very her. strong. Um, yeah. What, uh, what was the other they- question, Bolor? <laughs> Yeah, so the second question was, I was kind of like thinking about, you know, culture, tradition, and everything that the older community folks were saying to Aisha Fenn was like, so she, she obviously broke that tradition, right? Mm-hmm. If, if they said that there was some sort of like a father to son tradition, so she mm-hmm. broke it. They couldn't really do anything about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now what? Can other, local woman can continue this and does that like what does that mean mm-hmm. if there was such a what like what mm-hmm. do you guys think i was you know in the film i my heart was kind of pounding when um they were signing up for the competition yeah me too i thought they were gonna turn her away i was a little worried that yeah. the panel would turn her away i was just amazed that they let her compete so I guess that was my thoughts going forward. There's a lot of time, you know, a whole year between competition. There's time for people to make a fuss and make a new rule saying women can't compete. Or there's time to just be like, okay, do any other women want to compete? It could go either way. So I, I would love it if they follow up. It's been and, like six years. Yeah. And yeah. see, mm-hmm. I don't know. What did you and, think, Bullard? Yeah. Well, I was like, as a researcher, we always go back to some sort of legal document, right? Like, what does it say? Like, what is preventing from somebody doing another? Or did they do it and it broke certain clauses or something? And I was thinking, like, is there like a, like a guideline for eagle hunters without mm. the huntresses? And is there like a legal clause saying like women are cannot do? I don't think so. For one, for two, if there was such clause, if there was like actual legal banning of women from doing certain, cause you know, it is a cultural activity. This is one of the Mongolian cultural thing is, you know, you t- train eagles to go hunt. Then that needs to be changed, but I don't think there is. That's mm. why my point is the older, elderly community were saying she needs to do this is kind of a bull crap to me because. <laughs> There is no legal document banning yeah. women from doing things. Uh, so she didn't break any tradition. There's no tradition that bans women from training an eagle, mm. stealing an eagle, training yes. an eagle. No formal, and, there's no like formal oh. rule against it. It was just kind of like, this is how it's been right. done, but it's not like she couldn't. Yeah, right? like it's, no. Mm. So that's why I was like, you know, I really want to drive that point. It was just some people that accepted certain things the way they wanted to yeah. mm. and that doesn't mean that you know it's like officially bad it's not social really. pressure <laughs> which is huge you yeah know? like expectations or yeah. like expectations so i i noticed i was like that when you were saying like oh this this was a tradition or a practice that was passed down from 
father to son. And I was like, oh, is the reason that Ashel Pan's doing this? Is it because the her parents had only daughters? And no, no, he has a son. He just doesn't care that she's a girl. He's like, I'll mm-hmm. teach you anyway. Because as he says, yeah. he's like, no, I think boys and girls are equal. Mm-hmm. I don't, this isn't a matter of me only having, like having no choice but to teach my daughter because I don't have a son. Yeah, exactly. Now, the argument would have been different if, if he didn't have a son. Now, mm. the argument would change because the three of us are talking, you know, saying like, oh, well, he had a son and she was just happened to be the oldest one, you know, but mm-hmm. what if I should can, what if she was a he? I don't think the dad's like, oh, because oh. you're a guy, you have to learn. Mm. There was no pressure and he said it. It was natural. You have to have the natural. It was in her blood. Yeah. In your blood. That's exactly what it is, you know, because mm. that. Even if I were to, even if Emily, let's say you got so inspired, you want to go become eagle hunters oh, right no. now. I'm just asking, can That'd you do incredible. it? I don't think so. Well, Maybe if it were a matter you? of life and death, if I was like, you're going to die unless you learn how to do this. But no, I don't think that's instinctive <laughs> to me. <laughs> I did want to ask and so be respectful of Bowler's time. Maybe we can all say our favorite moment. Yeah. Takeaway. I'll go last. Ah! Kristen, you want to go first? I should have thought about this before I asked. Ah! <laughs> I mean, probably my favorite moment is when father and daughter are working together to get her first eagle. Hey, Emily. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that Yeah, that part, the part that sticks out of my mind now is um, I love her dad. <laughs> yeah, I loved how he talked about her and he always called her my my child, my daughter. But yeah, when the mother was getting her ready. Because the mom even said, I don't see her a whole lot because she's training with her dad. But the mother was saying, I just want my daughter to love her life. And she also said, I believe in a woman's right to choose. I was like, oh, my God. Unfortunately, this is a radical notion. But this this woman is saying, I want my daughter to choose her own destiny. And I want her to love her life. And both of her parents are just so supportive. And it's amazing what you can do and the people you love and the people that raise you support you absolutely yeah well what i thought it was really touching and moved me was just the birds loved her yeah yes and yeah. they would like talk you know how she would be like oh don't make that noise to me <laughs> yeah. you know she was like oh you're still hungry like yeah. oh, i'm gonna feed you tonight or something i just thought that was so cute because you 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 kind of have to connect with the animal when my favorite moment is when the bird flew to her, like, was it like three seconds? So fast. Something like that, yeah. So fast, and you could just see her, like, she's just <laughs> kind of relieved, but at the same time, maybe she doesn't know, like, exactly how long it took yeah. until you know, they counted it. That was my favorite moment. And it broke a record. I know. That was amazing. That was awesome. Yeah, the bird flew down from that mountaintop at record time. Yeah. Yes. And oh. right under, could you imagine the impact of a 15 pound bird with an eight foot wingspan landing on your arm <laughs> that fast? Yeah. Like, <laughs> ah, my face! Yeah. And she, oh, and she was like, I think her back was turned. I think that's how she, they catch the, and have faith that the bird was gonna land. And then, yeah, it sure did. I'm it was assuming, amazing. I'm assuming it's probably like a safety issue, cause what if the bird like claws your eyeballs or something, you know? Oh, oh. yeah, that's probably why she's turned Good away. Boy. Right? <laughs> Probably turn because like I don't think 
when the, just in terms of velocity, when the animal's traveling that fast, it can't just suddenly stop. It's like there's going, going oh. to be some momentum there when it lands yeah. onto her arm. So, yeah. man, what a badass. <laughs> I know. And one of the things that I noticed is that when they were training, the bird had a eye cover. Like a hood. And yeah. hood. And the last race where she's down there and the dad is sending the bird, it was off. But she's also calling because in in animal training you you do sound cues, so that's why she's making the noise over and over again. So I think for the birds to like hear and see her, maybe give her like extra strength, you know. I'm assuming I'm assuming they put the hood on during training so the bird doesn't just fly away. Extracted. <laughs> the fact that it flew right to her even without the hood on means they're bonded at that point. I I love that. Oh, Bowler, that's, that's, so, that's so awesome. <laughs> So, Bullard, can you tell us where our listeners can find you on social media, if if you'd like, or your website? Yeah, so I have a website. You can either look me up at the Diplomat webpage as an author, or you could look me up. Bowler, I'm going to have to spell out the last name. She's going to spell her last name. I'm going to spell it? Oh, my God. Okay, it's B-O-L-O-R-L-K-H-A-A-J-A-V at dot um, this is horrible, Emily. No, it's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll link it as well. Yeah, show notes. Buller, pronounce your whole name for us. Buller, Buller, Okay. That's wonderful. Yes. <laughs> We're so glad you came on and watched this with us. Thank you so much for coming on as our Yay. guest. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. I actually listened to Emily's podcast. I listened to the one with they're talking about the black swan. <gasps> Kristen, yes. remember that one? Yes. Because <laughs> I love the movie. And, and the one with Frida. I couldn't remember her name. Last Frida week, Kahlo. I was, I was like, who is the girl, Mexican girl with the huge eyebrow? <laughs> yeah, Frida Kahlo. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my God. Of course it's I Frida. Like, what am I? I support you guys. And, you know, you guys Thanks. have started a cool podcast. And promised me an episode so here's an episode i'm happy yeah. we've been discussing it since last year right it was like december november or something yeah we yeah. met like a almost while. a year ago right yeah almost a year ago it's may buller love you girl bye love thank to, you thank you thanks so much bye bye, bye. bye. it's amazing bye thank, thank you, you.